you know, we're sitting there in the car and my dad goes, hey, do you want to stop at Kennedy Space Center? And I just kind of looked at him. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what Kennedy Space Center was. I didn't know what space was. I knew absolutely nothing. Um, So he's like, no, we're going to go. I haven't been since I was a kid. Literally end up walking up to the gates and seeing those big blue explore letters for anyone who's been to Kennedy Space Center. And then the seven rockets towering behind it. And I absolutely fell in love. I ended up getting diagnosed with one thing. And that completely told me that, you know, you were disqualified, DQ'd, like you cannot do what you want to do. And then they ended up diagnosing me a couple months later with another thing. Um, And I was completely distraught. I couldn't function anymore. I couldn't do anything. So about a month and a week after I started back at Embry-Riddle, I ended up completely withdrawing. I'm actually fortunate enough. I'm now the um, operations manager slash uh, educator over at Space Track that's located at Kennedy Space Center. Sky Schwartz is with us today. She is a science communicator, a soon-to-be college graduate, and she is currently pursuing her dream to become a military fighter pilot and NASA astronaut. She's overcome a lot of obstacles to get where she is now, and she shares her inspiring story with us. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from deepastronomy.space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. So, Sky, welcome to Space Junk Podcast. I'm excited to have you here because I have a feeling you and I have a lot in common. You are uh, you are a science communicator. You're part of the Solar System Ambassador Program, and you want to be a an astronaut, but not until first you've become a fighter pilot. So tell us a little bit about your goals right now. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited. Um that's the end goal. That is definitely the end goal. And the, honestly, the biggest thing that I stress in terms of people who want to become an astronaut, obviously, I am not one yet, but I have met several. And I've learned it's kind of, it's almost more of like a hobby, because at that point, you have to be very well established in your career before you even get considered to be selected. I've known some astronauts that I think one of them applied seven or eight times, and it took him that many times. And Keep in mind, selection is not every year. It's about every four years. So that's that's a lot of time to add up there. you got to be pretty well established in your career to get there. I know. So and and I, I, I know you're never supposed to ask uh, a woman how old she is, but you're pretty young. You're just starting out. Now, I saw on your website that you are a are you an, a, still an undergraduate at Arizona State or is that is something changed now? You're yes. in Florida right now. I think, yes, right? I am born and raised in South Florida, Coral Springs, actually. Um, and I'm up in Daytona right now. But so yeah, flow. I mean, yeah, SoFlo. I'm a SoFlo girl, uh, born and raised beach bum, as I like to call it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I love the heat. Um, but yeah, I am. I am young. I am 22. Um, I I actually have been to three different colleges, but I ended up at Arizona State for my final thing, and I actually graduate the beginning of December, which is crazy to think about. Well, congratulations! And, and, I, and I'm sorry, what did you say your degree was? I got. I'm getting it in biology. Nice, very nice. Well, congratulations on the graduation coming up. I bet things got kind of 
thrown for a loop there toward your last semester or so. You know, believe it or not. So I am actually doing it completely online. I've been doing it online for about a year now. So it, there really wasn't that big of a change for me. It was just more people being added to the classroom, which had no effect on me. So I was good to go. Yeah, that's the way to do it. I feel like everything's transitioning that way more and more. I mean, before all of this stuff, I feel like that's that's the way that uh, the educational system is moving because there really isn't a need, unless it's like a lab, to be there in class. You can do the same thing. Even this platform we're using now, Twitch. I mean, couldn't you watch a lecture the same way here on Twitch that you would if you were actually sitting in a class? I mean, what's the difference? Other than So I actually started uh, my high school. I basically was in high school until my junior year. My senior year, um, I felt like I just kind of wasn't getting what I wanted. So I convinced my parents by making a huge binder about why I should go online for my senior year, which usually isn't typical because everyone wants the whole prom experience and all that. I didn't really care. I just wanted to be done. Um, so I ended up switching online. I didn't have any labs at the time, but with Arizona State, I do have labs. And the way that works, it depends on the class. So for my biology classes, all of my labs are actually through this software called Labster. So it's basically a virtual lab where we can do virtual dissections and things like that. For chemistry, what they did is they partnered with eScience Labs. And I had to buy a chemistry kit and actually sit there and have the underpad and put all the personal protective gear on and actually do the chemistry experiments. And they'll give you procedures and things like that. And they're very uh, precautious with obviously safety and things like that. So once I kind of learned how that worked, um, the only exception was that organic chemistry, which I'm taking uh, actually starting next Monday. That oh, lab was supposed to, yeah, I'm not excited. <laughs> that lab was supposed to be in person, but because of the coronavirus, they're actually doing it online. So I don't know how exactly wow. they're going to be doing that, but uh, it, it should be quite interesting. Yeah, that's wild, especially for chemistry, because you think like, you know, the the labs are always they have so many safety elements in them, like the the eye wash station and the shower and all of that stuff. Um, and all the stuff you think you don't need. I actually so my first chemistry lab ever, I had to use the little thing, the little water thing, because oh I ended up rub, rubbing salicylic acid. I like spilled it all <laughs> over myself, Oh no! you know, like a jug of <laughs> The girl, the girl that was, we had to share tables and I picked this thing up and right. she turns and spins, hits this thing and just dumps it on me. So I was like, oh, oh. no. All right. This will be interesting. Um, oh. But anyway. First day, yeah. Dustin has to use the safety <laughs> yeah. equipment. The, 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 <laughs> uh -oh. the, um, the instructor's looking at me with like these huge eyes, just like, what did you do? Why like, are you in this know. class? Is, is this bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like, I mean, there's, yeah, there's definitely a safety risk. Um, they We have to, every single time before any lab, we have to read all of the SDS sheets, so the safety sheets for any of the chemicals that we're working with. Um, they make us actually at the beginning of the semester draw out a map of what our station looks like, where the nearest window is, where the nearest sink is. We have to have a fire extinguisher next to us at all times. Um, obviously, they can't really check to see if people are doing that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. there hasn't been any problems so far, and I find it quite successful. But I've realized doing online schooling for all these years now, it's not for everybody, though. And I, I realize that now, and I, I see it more when, you know, now there is no choice. Everything is online. So it's definitely not for everybody because you have to be very, very independent and you have to have that will to get your schoolwork done because at the end of the day, there's nobody poking you to do it. 
Yeah, that's I, I, I for one, will be really interested to see how this shakes out going forward after everybody, you know, after the lockdowns end and all these other things that are going on, just what higher education is going to end up looking like. And, you know, I don't think it'll be anything at all like what we what we are used to. And I've always felt that this idea of going to lectures and, and just listening to an instructor three or four times a week and then you know, doing problem sets all the time, there has to be a better way. I mean, we could get these lectures online and maybe a better use of the professor's time when we're there in front of the professor is to interact with them in some other meaningful way. I hope that ends up being, or some, some iteration of it being, being what happens. But uh, these are interesting times, especially if you're in college. So you're going to graduate this December degree in biology you know, you're pro- are you going to then join the military or are you going to apply for flight school? How? What's next? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a whirlwind of a process. Um, I've actually been told twice due to a lot of medical mishap that I couldn't do it only to be found out that I was misdiagnosed with both the things. Um, so I've kind of had that back and forth of, you know, what was it's I going to do? It's a high um, bar. Uh, oh, it's extremely it's an extremely high bar. And I, I'm actually fortunate enough. I'm now the um, operations manager slash uh, educator over at Space Trek um, that's located at Kennedy Space Center. And I, you know, I have to thank online schooling because because I go to school online. I can go work a full 40, full, uh, ugh, excuse me, a full 40 hour job Monday through Friday and still do my schoolwork and still have mm-hmm. that experience where, you know, you have kids that are going to college full time where they can't have that job to make their resume look pretty and things like that. So my current goal right now is um, I do graduate in December. I am looking into submitting my packet. Um, I would have to go to officer candidate school first up in Rhode Island for the Navy um, and then hopefully if things go well, get a flight spot and kind of see where it goes. But you're definitely, you know, you're trying to play a couple cards there because nothing is guaranteed. So, you know, obviously nothing's guaranteed if I do go military or if I do decide to go civilian. It's kind of taken one step at a time right now, especially because of everything going on. Well, your chances of going civilian and getting into the astronaut corps are a lot higher than it's ever been. That's for sure. But um, it either way, it's yeah, like you said, it, and I think I read on your website that you know this is a this is a commitment. You got to just keep going and keep applying. Many people have applied to the astronaut corps many times before they were accepted, and some were never accepted. Obviously, so it's it's a pretty it's a pretty high dream, and it's one that I commend you for. Um, but I always thought though, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you needed, if you're going to go in the Navy as an officer, because you've got your degree now and you, so you would probably presumably go as an officer, you would go to officer training school and then, and then apply to the flight school. Is that how that, is that how that would work? So, and you, and you probably go to Pensacola, right? If you got jet. Yeah. If you go to flight school, um, you end up going to Pensacola. I have a couple actually buddies. I used to go to Ember Riddle. So I know a lot of the guys that have recently been accepted into flight school. Yeah. I was there for two years. Um, that, so basically once you finish, when you put your packet in to initially, you know, apply to the Navy, you have to do what career you want. So I had a friend that applied to be a Navy SEAL, but didn't get accepted at that, but applied to another packet, had to start a brand new packet for pilot and ended up getting that. So it's kind of decided, um, you know, before you go, but of course anything can happen. They can yank you anytime they want. It's the government. So it's a, it's a giant risk factor. And really the only reason why, um, I kind of lean more towards it is because once you become an astronaut, when you have your two years that you're a candidate, one of the first things you do is you go up to Pensacola and you do the flight training that the Navy goes through. So 
it's kind of getting a leg up on the game. Plus, you actually get to be flying in the jets and not really doing backseat. Gives you a little bit of a, of a leg up. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Life takes you in crazy directions. I for sure learned that. <laughs> have you have you been in any backseats? I haven't been in any back seats of jets. I've been in uh, front seats of like Cessnas and Pipers. Uh, a few of my buddies fly, so they'll oh, yeah. take me up. But I always I joke with uh, one of the Blue Angels that I know, uh, Chewy. He now flies the number six jet. But um, I when he was last year when he was number seven, I met him and we, he joked because he was like, "Hey, I'll just throw you in the back seat." And I'm like, "Hey, if you could <laughs> sign me up, like I'm down." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am there. I have always thought those T38s looked fun AF to get in and just go up. Oh gosh, oh, man, yeah. they look like a blast. I would they, love the it. The astronauts man. that I've met, they've had stories. <laughs> you know, I don't know how it is now with the current classes, but back in the day that. They would just get their T-38s and kind of go, you know, a little bit below off radar and start just flying wherever the heck they wanted to because they could. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not even mad. Yeah. Oh, that's low, too. That's scary stuff. I think all of this is scary. You know, we were talking to um, uh, Don Pettit um, about launching and just what it's like to go through it. And I feel like he, you know, he downplayed the whole thing, not because I felt like he was underselling it, but because to him, it's just his normal. But for that to become your normal, to just wily coyote it, you know, attach yourself to a rocket and shoot it straight up. It's like that is the most terrifying thing I think a human can experience. Yeah, you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, you know, you're strapping yourself to a stick of dynamite and you can't be not crazy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like, like there's no break. You know what I mean? It's like, no, once, once you're on, you're on. You can't get out. Yeah, you yeah. know, you're, you're yeah, there. You're going. <laughs> you're going. And he talked about it. He's just like, yeah, you know, it's just what we train for. And um, he said that he would be more nervous having a job where it was to like talk to people every day. And it's just like, I don't know. People aren't nearly as scary as launching yourself into space. I mean, to each his own. I, I sit there and I give presentations at Kennedy Space Center and public speaking has is something that has become my normal. But I know like even my sister, she could not do that for a million years at all. She right. would rather do yeah. something, you know, the opposite. She can't do, you know, she has massive stage fright. So it really just depends. I mean, sometimes you get that really weird norm where somebody who is very, very terrified of heights, but is fine with flying. It's just, you know, you don't know. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's something like, it's probably like anything where, you know, you, uh, you do it enough and it just, it's like, well, okay. Cause I know I used to be really nervous speaking the early college. I would really struggle to even like talk to the class. And now I don't, I don't get that at all. You know, we'll go out and we'll do talks. Um, sometimes these are large events. Sometimes, you know, like that one in Pennsylvania was like thousands of people and it's not, it doesn't feel that way anymore. It, I think it could be the material you're talking about too. If it's something you really know and you're really excited to talk about, there's like that fright goes away because you're just amped to talk about it. But I don't know that you could get that with with rockets or even fighter jets. I mean, it just seems like, man. Um, that's... Well, I have to say in terms of the public speaking, at least, you know, because I can only speak from what I've experienced and what I did, but I was extremely shy when I was a kid. I still have a little bit shyness here and there, but um, what actually happened is my parents put me into performing arts. So I was in performing arts from fifth grade all the way until I was 15 and found NASA. And then that was, you know, a complete by chance thing. But doing that, you know, speaking, public speaking more and more and more and starting off with 
being a character on stage and it's not really you versus we're here. My presentations, right. it is me. I'm not playing a character. It's definitely a little bit more nerve wracking. But in terms of, you know, for instance, like the Blue Angels that they go up there and they fly every single day and they're used to mm -hmm. hitting eight G's easy. They say they're just used to it because they've done it for so long. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your your backstory. How did you get here from there? Uh, you've got kind of an interesting story. I guess you started when you were very young as uh, a performer. Yes, I. Tell us that story. Yeah, I. Oh, okay. So fifth grade, it was my first performance. I tried out. It was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, I wasn't going to try out. I didn't know anything about performing or any of that. But it was kind of one of those things where all your friends do it and they force you to do it too. So I auditioned and I ended up getting the role of Grandma Georgina and a couple other smaller parts. Um, and I did that and absolutely fell in love with it. From there, I did performing arts all see, throughout. I'm sorry. I want to see a four-year-old yeah. grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, uh, that, that was fun. I mean, we did do our own makeup. We had to learn how to do our own like grandma, grandpa makeup. Um, it was a lot of fun. I didn't expect it to be that fun because... I honestly didn't even know how serious it was. I didn't expect us to do like actual shows where people are paying for it. I thought this was just something in the classroom. So I, I got a, a shock to it real quick, but I absolutely fell in love with it. And I'm kind of used to seeing the performing side because my dad was actually an Elvis impersonator for 20 years. So is that right? <laughs> yeah, he was an Elvis impersonator for 20 years. He made all the outfits like, you know, I am biased, but I will say he he's really good. He's, he's really a good, good Elvis. At it. Huh? Oh, yeah, he's really good at it. But uh, I got that from my dad. So I can't say that I wasn't shy to it. I was just more of I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, but maybe not the scale going from there, middle and high school. I kept auditioning for roles. I kept getting bigger and bigger roles. I ended up being a part of uh, junior and senior thespians, as well as chorus and a group called Encore, which was an auditioned group of singers. We would go all around everywhere singing. And uh, even at chorus, I've done the Disney Candlelight a couple years. So it turned into this really big thing. And I fell in love with performing. And that's what I wanted to do. So when I turned 15 years old, it was actually my parents' wedding anniversary. And my mom wanted to go to uh, St. Augustine her favorite town. So for some reason, they wanted too. to bring me along. Oh, it's gorgeous. But for some reason, they wanted to bring me along to their anniversary. And I was just like, okay, sure. Um, ended up going with them. And, you know, we're sitting there in the car and my dad goes, hey, do you want to stop at Kennedy Space Center? And I just kind of looked at him. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what Kennedy Space Center was. I didn't know what space was. I knew absolutely nothing. Um, so he's like, no, we're going to go. I haven't been since I was a kid. Literally end up walking up to the gates and seeing those big blue explore letters for anyone who's been to Kennedy Space Center. And then yep, the seven yep. rockets towering behind it. And <laughs> I absolutely fell in love. We spent the whole entire day there. I actually the first astronaut I ever met, Bob Springer, which I have a, a long history with him now. But he was there that day giving his talk. And I remember I was hooked at this point, but I still didn't really know what I was getting into. And he was giving a talk saying that when he went up on Space Shuttle Atlantis and he came back down, he was sitting there on the couch watching TV. And all of a sudden, this commercial comes on for this this space simulator that launches you into space. And they're going on and on and on and how it's the realest experience you're ever get. It's exactly like Oh, launching. that's the launch experience. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, this was I've been on that. Yeah. Well, this was way before Kennedy Space Center created theirs. This was when oh, he got oh. back from his mission. He was watching oh, a I commercial see. on television. 
And they said it was oh. exactly like launching. And he just turns at us and he goes, you know what I said to that TV? Dude, no, no, it's not. You don't know what you're talking about. And it was for some reason that tagline just got me and I couldn't get enough. And I made sure I was the last person in line to talk to him. And we took pictures. And, you know, as my mom says now, every time we see him, that he created a monster and she's still waiting for the tuition. <laughs> check. But uh, yeah, it kind of just grew from there. Um, after that, that was when I convinced my parents to allow me to go online for my senior year. I would spend 18 hours a day trapped in my room. I would send my parents my schedule for the day that, you know, I was watching Space Station Live at 11 a.m. And then at 1.30, I had a live lesson for human anatomy and physiology. I was up at two o'clock in the morning if there was a launch on, you know, over in Russia doing Twitter feeds and whatever it may be. I was absolutely addicted. So that kind of took me to uh, finding more of a social media base. And I started off with maybe 100 followers. Right now, I'm, I think, over 5,300 or something like that. So it kind of blew up into this whole thing. But I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of great people that ended up leading me to Embry-Riddle. I got to work on some super cool projects there, including the uh, NASA NEMO project, which is the uh, NASA Extreme Environments Missions Operation down in Key Largo. And I've done you know a few projects there. But I wasn't happy. I really wasn't happy, if I'm being honest. I was pushed into engineering. I actually had two weeks between high school and college. And I kind of just did engineering because everyone I met, you know, was like, oh, astronaut engineering. It kind of went hand in hand. And, right, yeah. you know, I yeah. yeah, I did a double degree in mechanical engineering and human factors for two years at Embry-Riddle. And, yeah, I failed a lot of classes. I'm not going to lie. It was uh, it was an experience. I wasn't ready for engineering. And it's not that I couldn't do it. I just wasn't interested in it. So. Had a reality check, ended up switching to Stetson University in DeLand for biology. Hey, no way. I'm sorry, yeah. but that's like 20 minutes from my house. Oh, so, yeah. I was yeah, there for I, a year. <laughs> I didn't know you went to Stetson. That's amazing. Yeah, okay. I went to Stetson for a year for biology. Um, I actually studied a lot with uh, marine life and orca whales because uh, I, I have a love for animals. I've worked with them previously before. I'm kind of all over the place. But <laughs> after Stetson, I went back to Embry-Riddle for aerospace physiology. And what happened there was I ended up getting diagnosed with one thing and that completely told me that, you know, you were disqualified, DQ'd, like you cannot do what you want to do. And then they ended up diagnosing me a couple months later with another thing. Um, and I was completely distraught. I couldn't function anymore. I couldn't do anything. So about a month and a week after I started back at Embry-Riddle, I ended up completely withdrawing. Um, then I kind of took some time off, got, ended up uh, getting accepted into Arizona State University for biology, only to find out almost a year after I was uh, diagnosed that it, they were both complete misdiagnosis, never even had them. Oh, my God. It, you know, it came out of nowhere. And I went through, you know, a really dark time when after being told I couldn't do what I wanted to do, what I dedicated, you know, six years of my life at that time. So it definitely was a reality check. But um, coming back from that, it was really interesting to know, oh, you can actually do what you want to do now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's kind wow, of been wow. a, a whirlwind. It's been an up and down. It's, it was a, you know, a massive struggle on me and, you know, my family and all my contacts and, you know, I, Kennedy Space Center is my second home. And I actually didn't go there for about a whole entire year. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew why they didn't heard from me. You know, I stopped doing all my presentations at Kennedy Space Center. So I kind of just dipped below the radar for a little less than a year. And then finally, once, you know, I came to terms with it and then they told me that this was all a lie, I got, you know, kind of resurfaced and had to kind of reconfigure myself and rebrand myself and and kind of come back from that. And it's just been going ever since. 
Wow, that's a really poignant story. There's there's nothing more devastating than to learn that I have a similar story. It's a little bit different, but where you learn that you can't do the one thing that you've always wanted to do, uh, and you and you and you have such a clear defined passion that you want to do it, like you did uh, when you first walked into Kennedy Space Center, like I have when I first looked up at the night sky, uh, and then to find out that you maybe can't do that thing or you, that you probably can't do that thing. That's an experience that is utterly devastating. So I definitely can relate to what you're saying there and kudos to you for, for having the strength to come back, even though you were led through a misdiagnosis, you still had to live through that, that disappointment and um, that, that devastation. So I really can feel what you're talking, what you're going through there. Uh, and now you're back, right? I mean, now you're back yep. on track to do the things you wanted to do. And yeah, you're more energized than ever. Now. I can tell by just listening <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a huge believer in that, you know, everything happens for a reason. And as crazy as that year was and all the things that I went through, it kind of made me who I am today. And I can't take it back. And people ask me like, oh, my God, you must like hate the doctor that, you know, diagnosed yeah. you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you know what? I don't. Because if that didn't happen, I would not be where I am right now. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. So people call me crazy for thinking like that. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know, how it is. Yeah, yeah I think I mean, that, I that undulation is often responsible for really like forging what those passions are as well, you know, because it's like you think you know what you want. We've all been there. We've been super excited and even like, you know, maybe mistaking something for passion where it's really just like, oh, this is a new, exciting thing. But when you go through that kind of challenge and you have it taken away from you or you think it is, and then, I mean, I think that, you know, I know I've been there, Tony, I, I've heard your story, man. I know you've been there and, and now hearing that mm -hmm. you've, you've done it as well. When you have it opened back up, you know, then for certain whether or not it was what you thought it was. Because if you go back to it and it's all still there, then, you know, you know, it's something that you have to have in your life story that you cannot live without. Whereas, you know, other things you may have it taken away. And it's like, you know, I don't my life isn't worse for losing it after after the newness wears off of that. Right. And so it really kind of like forges that. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And for me, you know, it, I had it taken away twice. You know, I was diagnosed and they're like, no, like. I kind of was like, no, I'm going to get around it. I'm good. Wow. You know, wow. and then I, yeah. I was fine. And then I got, you know, diagnosed again. And I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is great. Um, and that's kind of where it just went. And then once I found out I was misdiagnosed, I was literally sitting there in the room with my doctor and she knew the whole entire story. And, you know, I just, I started laughing. I couldn't contain myself. I started laughing and I'm like, this has to be some like sick joke or something. Like, <laughs> are you lying? Like this happens twice, yeah. not even once, but like twice, uh, you know, yeah. there's definitely days that the, are the harder days where you're like, okay, are you maybe telling me not to do this? Or is this a joke or, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, having to bounce back from something like that twice, you know, you just, you have to laugh at it at that point. You can't really get upset because clearly there's just something going on that, you know, is for the better and for the wiser. And and when you're going through it, when you're in the depths of the of the sadness of it, of this realization or and, and of this, you know, bereftment, because that's really what it is, you know, you you nothing else even remotely satisfy I tried I mean I tried looking for other things to do right what else inter interested me besides going into science uh what what else would I find interesting uh, and coincidentally it was flying much like what you know you're talking about I 
went, I wanted to learn how to fly. So it prompted me to go into the military and, and go to flight school. But it was, uh, and, and yet again, you know, because I, I was, I failed that physical and had to choose something else entirely. But in the midst of all of that, it's, you know, nothing else comes close to what your original passion was. And so to me, it's one of the, it's one of the most tragic things that can happen to a person who has passion, someone who has a clearly defined thing they love more than anything else in the world, and then not being able to do it, I think is one of the biggest human tragedies there is. But, uh, but luckily, both of us, it sounds like, was able to, we were able to bounce back and live our dreams. But it was, it was uh, when you're in the middle of it, nothing even comes close. It's like, eh, you know. Oh, I yeah. You know, I, I don't mean, really feel like that. My way of filling that void, I absolutely love animals. I volunteered with uh, the Marine Science Center in Ponsonland, and I worked mm -hmm. with those birds for like four years. Um, and then kind of after I was like, okay, I really need to find something I have to do with my life. I can't just sit here, you know, and watch Netflix for the next, you know, for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, so, you could. Uh, but... Yeah, I could, but it wouldn't be that great. So uh, you can only watch so much Netflix before you're, you know, you don't know what to watch. But my way of doing that was, okay, I'm going to work with animals. I'm going to go back to something that I've loved since I was a kid. And I ended up getting a job with Central Florida Zoo. And I was there for about a month before I was offered actually for a government contractor job with NOAA down in Miami, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Right. And I actually had a pivotal, you know, a second pivotal, or I guess a third pivotal moment in my life where I was literally about to move down to Miami. All my stuff was at my parents, you know, because they were only an hour away. So I was just going to easy transition. And I ended up meeting somebody that works at Kennedy Space Center that ended up bringing me to the Military Affairs Council meeting um, two months ago. And, you know, I heard from my Kennedy Space Center contacts. They're like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Like, you belong in the space industry. But it's kind of like, you know, when your mom and dad tell you something and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Um, they became my second family. So that's how I viewed it. But, you know, I was sitting in that room talking to, you know, the commander of the 920th and the 45th Space Wing and, you know, all these crazy people. And I just met them at like maybe an hour ago. And they're all telling me, you can't leave the Space Coast. Like the Space Coast is your home. And the next day, I got on, I applied, you know, to, you know, the internship position at Space Trek actually, went into interview, ended up getting the internship position only to come in to start my first day. And they offered me a full-time position as an operations manager, which was something I wasn't expecting, but <laughs> I ended up turning down the job. Thank you. I ended up turning down the job in Miami and moving all my stuff back up. And uh, it's kind of just crazy how it all went because, you know, I could have made a mistake. I could have gone down to Miami and Noah's a great company, but my biggest reason was that it just wasn't space related. And I couldn't, I couldn't tear myself away from, from that. Like obviously the passion is yeah. there. So. Yeah. I mean, Ponce Inlet, you mentioned Ponce Inlet, they have a good uh, turtle uh, research center there as well that I visited several times. And so they got a lot of good wildlife work being done around there. And one thing about, you can say a lot of things about Florida, but one thing that I think it does have right is. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Florida man. <laughs> but one of the things that I, I am actually a little bit proud of is the, is the seriousness with which the Fish and Wildlife Commission and others, uh, you know, try and protect the, uh, the wilderness and the animals yes, around here. I it's gotten agree with that. A lot. I grew up here. I was born here and I've seen some really bad stuff. But in the past you know, decade or so, Florida has finally started to realize, wait a minute, <laughs> we can't just keep raping this stuff forever. It's got to be taken care of. So I am I am very proud of the, what they're doing these days. It's a lot better. For sure. Um, so let me ask you this. So you are what do you feel about coming up later this month? We've got a big launch. We don't have, not you and I personally, but the space industry does. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're all in yeah, this. I, I do. <laughs> You've got a big launch coming up, Sky. So tell us about it if you're ready. Yeah, let's go. 
<laughs> no. I'm the third but, passenger. Nobody said anything. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, you're going to stow away, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> March, I mean, May 27th, I believe. Or is it 26th? 27th, I think. 27th, yeah. Uh, yes. Is it, what, do you, uh, what are your thoughts on that? What are your feelings on this uh, time? Are, is, is SpaceX the, the bomb right now? Or are, they, are they the ones to, to beat? You know, I have to give it to Elon Musk because everybody called him crazy. And as crazy well, he as crazy. he may be, <laughs> but look what he's accomplished. The man has done things that no other company could do. I mean, obviously, yeah, you're a little bit when you're government, you're tied down in terms of funding. But he essentially has unlimited funding and he's accomplished things that no other company can. And, uh, you know, I I knew the launch integration manager for the commercial crew program. Uh, he actually was a test director before and a former F-14 pilot. He's my, been my adopted dad. He actually just retired from that program. But you know, talking to him about it and seeing his perspective, he kind of, you know, he was the middleman between, you know, SpaceX and Boeing. And both companies had, you know, and have great aspects. You know, everything has their pros and cons. Um, and I stayed very neutral in terms of everything. When I gave my commercial crew presentations, you know, everybody would keep pegging me and keep asking me. But I stayed very neutral because with me, I got to see it to believe it. You know, you can believe this, but you never know what can sneak up around the corner. But I have to give it to him. SpaceX has done an incredible job. They work, you know, over 100 hours a week. They probably never sleep and they get things done. But actually seeing it go and how successful things have been, of course, with anything, there were setbacks. But I think this is something absolutely huge that, you know, it needed to happen. We all thought it was going to happen again with NASA being, you know, the main primary person to do it again. But that just goes to show you that how much more the space industry is becoming more open to everything. And this is honestly the first step, not only in commercial space operations, but in tourism. You know, I say it all the time. It's just one step in the right direction. And for Elon Musk and, you know, everybody at SpaceX to be working as hard as they are, they deserve it. And I think this is, you know, the big birthday candle that they've wished for. Yeah, that's well said. Um, I don't know. It's uh. I, I'm nervous as, as I'll get out on this. I hope I want it to go super well. I hope it, I certainly hope it does, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's been a long time since we've launched any, any people in space. It's been what 2011, I guess was the last time. Yeah. Uh, human beings have been launched from this country. So it'll be nice to, uh, It'll be scary, though. <laughs> oh, I, I won't lie. I'll sit there even with any launch, you know, Russia, you know, you know, U.S., just even launching cargo. And I'm sitting there shaking because I'm so nervous because you just don't know, let yeah. alone. And I was there. I was there at the causeway when Orion went up for EFT1. So and I, I was nervous as heck because that was NASA's next step. You know, that was what was going to get them there. And it was cloudy that day. So we only saw it for about 20 seconds. But I can only imagine how nervous I was there, let alone how nervous I'm going to be on the 27th. But, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, we are also just want to let our listeners know we're also uh, streaming this live on uh, Gibson Picks Twitch channel and on the Deep Astronomy YouTube channel. And we've got some questions that are relevant. Uh, uh, Dustin, do you want to read them out? On I think they're on uh, your channel. Or shall I read them out? Um, let's see. Yeah, I've got one right here. So um, let's see. Orange Perrier. <laughs> is asking, Boeing has had some real quality control issues lately. Is that the concern? I think with Boeing, a lot of people relate it to their mishap they had um, about when they tried to launch the International Space Station, and unfortunately, they couldn't dock. Um, I can't really speak to too much on that. I obviously, I don't know the in-depth works of their program. The only people that know that are the people that have, you know, worked on it. 
But I would have to say, even just generalizing it to basic experiences, that sometimes things happen, you know, whether it's safety, whether it's, you know, a missed line in a code, whatever it may be, things do happen. And Boeing has recovered from that and they're going to do another launch to try to dock to the International Space Station. Of course, that's not what the the outcome they wanted. They wanted to be obviously the first ones to launch Americans from American soil to the International Space Station. But if you look at it from another light, you know what? They got the contract and they're working as hard as they can. And when, you know, they're ready to launch with their people and their capsule, they will. Um, It is a little bit of a hit, but at the end of the day, we're all working towards the same mission. So whatever it may be, you know, you know that they're working on it for sure. Yeah, right. Um, I have a couple questions on my channel. Raj Luther wants to know what our thoughts are on the Artemis program. What do you think, Sky? The Artemis program, that's actually another one of my presentations I do, so I'm very familiar <laughs> with this program. Um, I honestly love the Artemis program, but the thing is with NASA is that it's dictated and governed by, you know, whatever happens in the political world. So Amen, as some of, that's yeah, right. you know, as some of you know, back, um, I think when Obama was president, we were going, it was Journey to Mars. That was the tagline. Right. Now it's Artemis. It's the twin sister to Apollo. So we could say that Artemis is going to be a thing, but, you know, in four years and eight years, that might change and we might be going to Europa for all we know. So <laughs> I think it's a great program. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it, it does hinder NASA because we've kind of been taking the same steps in the same direction. It just the objective keeps changing and that definitely does change. But I think the Artemis program is something great. I think that we need to go back to the moon. I don't think it's a bad thing. I know, you know, the first tagline that I say when I speak about the Artemis program is, it's actually ironic because the building I do it in at Kennedy Space Center is Journey to Mars. So, you know, when everybody sits down, I kind of look at them and I'm like, you're probably really confused about why I'm talking about going to the moon, considering, A, we're all sitting in a building that is called Journey to Mars. But and what it is, it is a dress rehearsal for Mars. There is nothing wrong with, you know, taking a couple extra, you know, minutes. Obviously, in this case, it's years. But doing something of taking a dress rehearsal and staging it for the moon, Mars is a lot further than our moon. If we can get to the moon and accomplish that, you know, mission after mission after mission after mission. And now with the gateway being built and launched, I think they said in 2023, we're just taking baby steps to that goal. So I think the Artemis program is a great program. But again, we don't know what's going to end up happening with it in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, it's a common sense thing to do next. We have virtually zero experience in deep space. And by deep space, I mean anything outside of our magnetosphere. And so, you know, we should get that experience uh, and, and, and technology development uh, here close to home, three days away from Earth, rather than just jumping all in. I think it makes perfect sense. And I even, I even support the gateway for the same reason. I think the gateway makes a hell of a lot of sense to do uh, as, a, as a technology platform for getting our deep space ambitions met. Mars is going to be deadly and so we have to be able to, you know, prepare ourselves and have experience meeting at least something of that scale. And I think the moon is the place to do it. So that's what I. Yeah, think. I mean, Neil said it. You have to take one small step. You can't make that giant leap, you know, all in one go. You have to, you know, yeah, crawl yeah, before yeah. you can yeah, walk yeah. and walk before you can run. So. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, any okay? Uh, let's see. Fresh X Prince wants to know um, what we think of the of Virgin Galactic. 
And I guess we could also say Virgin Orbit. You know, that's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. Virgin's Two done a lot. Programs, Virgin's but... launching, you know, Virgin's launching the cruise ship line too. They're they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Virgin. Well, maybe not such a great idea now, but <laughs> yeah, uh, my, it's actually funny because my aunt owns a, a a printing business and they got the job for Virgin Galactic, but it all got you know messed up because of what's going on. But mm. in terms of the space side of that. You know, I think that Virgin Galactic is the one you don't really hear about unless they've done something bad, which, you know, or something is a mishap, which I don't think is right. Um, It's mainstream media nowadays. They want to focus on, oh, my God, this happened, not what good is happening in the world. Um, I think that they will get there. I think they might be one of the first ones, you know, to launch commercial tourism. You know, you never know. But it could be Blue Origin. It could be another company. There's so many companies out there that are working towards the same goal. I think that they're doing a really great job. I mean, they obviously they have a lot. They have their hands in a lot of different pots. So you don't really kind of know what's happening and in, in terms of what. And we don't get that many updates, but they've made some great progress. They've also had loss. But, you know, it's the same. It was like the same thing with Boeing. They didn't quite get where they wanted to be, but they're still working towards it. And they're all trying to get to the same end goal. Yeah, I think my money's still on Jeff Be- Bezos. I mean, he's the he's the guy that. He takes the turtle view, the long, the long haul. I think he's going to get farther than people think. Go ahead, Dustin. It was it was fun listening to you and Hans, the owner of Wavelength Brewing Co. on that podcast, go back and forth because he hates the Jeff Bezos programs and believes a hundred percent in SpaceX because Elon's just so bold. And you know, oh, yeah. I think everybody. I loves think the that. idea. Well, look, no, I mean, okay, Tony. When you read the history books, how many people do you see in there? It's like they made it for their caution, right? Uh, it's like, <laughs> who built the world's largest corporation? Who built the most dominant corporation on the planet right now? Who did that? Did he do it? Was it Elon cautious? Musk? No, it was not him. So, <laughs> y- 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 Here we go. <laughs> so Here my space billionaire, my space billionaire, the one that I vote for, the one who I root for is Jeff Bezos. Was, was Amazon profitable for a long time? in my closet. Yeah. No, man. I, look, I, I, like his I, I don't care who gets there. I want them all. To the moon. Yeah. I want them all to get there, okay? I want all of yeah. them to do everything they're doing and to be successful. I think it's good for humanity that it happens. But I do like yeah. you getting worked up because other people like <laughs> Elon Musk. <laughs> everyone everyone has their opinions and, you know, everyone is like, even them all, like, you know, it's a mini, it's a friendly competition. But at the end of the day, it's kind of the same thing with the military branches. Everyone, you know, has their own, you know, toughs and you give each other crap. But at the end of the day, it's the same mission and they're all trying to get there. I wouldn't say I got worked up. But okay. Except in, yeah, I mean, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I, I think that's true, but the Navy is still better than everyone. So, you know. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's. That, it's, but... it's... <laughs> All right. So they, we got they some fill more up questions. half my closet. It's fine. <laughs> right. We got some more. We got some more questions here. Uh, Stella Femina is asking. Hope this isn't. Hey, Stella. Wow, Stella Femina here? It's got to be what, three o'clock in the morning there? <laughs> Thanks for jumping in. Wow. You're really welcome. Yeah. So uh, she's in Australia. So hope this isn't a silly question, but what would the travel time to Mars be if humans were to go? How long does it take to get to Mars? So as of right now, and please do not quote me on this because somebody can create some new technology tomorrow that changes absolutely everything. Um, But as of right now, it would take about two and a half years to get to Mars with the current technology. And what's going to end up happening is that, um, or I'm sorry, the total time is two and a half years. It takes about 215 days with current technology. You have to stay on Mars for 497 days for the planets to realign because you want to launch when they're closest together, saves fuel, which ends up saving money, which everybody likes. And then it's another uh, 215 days. So it's about a two and a half year round trip. So 
When a lot of people hear that, they don't realize that right now on the International Space Station, your missions are about six months capped. Obviously, that was different for the year in space. And um, obviously, with Christina, her mission got extended and she was up there for about 238 days or something like that. So it was extended. But um, that's a lot of people who don't realize. And I kind of nerd out about it because of the biology side is that it has massive effects on the human body. So I think it's smart we're not jumping straight to Mars because we only know what happens to the human body when they hit one year in space, not two and a half. Yeah. And the the physiology unknowns are so yeah. strange. I mean, you remember, remember Dustin, we were talking with, uh, with, um, Don about this, this eyeball yeah. thing. What was it? The blindness? Or oh, it's something? fascinating. Yeah. I think yeah. what's going to be the most interesting is the, uh, their endocrine response to space, you know, like what's going to happen to hormones in space over long periods of time, because we know that, you know, the stability of the body is dependent on those one gets out of whack and everything else starts trying to change to adjust. And it is the balance of the body, but what's going to happen over extended periods of time as everything else starts to break down, even the calcium being released, you know, from, from bones and, you know, the lack of D3 and all of this stuff. And we were talking to Don about that, but he's like, you know, we just simply don't know what we don't know. We just know mm-hmm. the only way to find out is to roll yep. the dice a little bit and uh, go out there and see what happens. And, uh, Kate, you know, he was all for taking it in stages like, hey, go to the moon, go spend some time on the moon outside of the protection of the Earth's magnetosphere. And, you know, let's see what happens. But you're going to have to guinea pig a little bit of this because you just simply don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got, uh, we got another question here. Actually, it looks like we got a lot of questions coming in. San Fran Astro is asking a very important question. Uh, this one is very important. Who would you rather travel to Mars with Tony or Dustin? So let me, let me start by saying I've traveled with Tony. Okay. And Tony outside of <laughs> it's, space, it's a party outside of space. Tony only has two loves in his life. And one is practicing his dancing ballet. And the second is acapella singing in falsetto. <laughs> so oh my both, both get old. There's novelty you, at first. You love my moves, man. You know you love my moves. I have dances for everything. I do. There's a novelty have- at first, but he can go for hours. So see, but here's the thing: I was performing. I was in an acapella group, so I mean, yeah, okay. See, Scott, I don't Scott know, but here, I don't right. know. You gotta, you gotta pitch your case. But if you go, yeah. but if you go with Dustin, you're gonna get some good scotch. So that's a big plus there. Ooh, y- yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, don't, I can't compete with that for sure. But I would on, scream yeah, the so. entire way there. I'd be the worst travel companion. Okay, well, then you just totally threw yourself under the bus. I guess I'm going with Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. I would be so... I would, like, cling to everything in there, terrified of being on a rocket. So, no, I would be a terrible travel companion. I'd go in a heartbeat for sure. It's just, uh, I don't... uh, I. whether we'd whether we'd come back or not, it's an open question just because of the safety. But I, I don't know, man. I definitely wouldn't. I wouldn't hesitate to go. That's for sure. In a perfect world. Yes, that's right. Um, I want to give. So for those of you who are listening and watching that have never been to Kennedy before, I just want to give a plug to them, at least to the visitor center. I know, Sky, that's not where you're working, but, but uh, you know, lots of people after the space shuttle program ended got a space shuttle you know there's one in california there's one up in new york and and uh and florida got atlantis and i've seen a lot of the other installations but what they have done with the atlantis walkthrough is absolutely beautiful so i would if you 
no other way have I been able to experience what the space shuttles were like up close than in that in that uh, in that facility because when you walk out, uh, you see the space shuttle with the cargo bay doors open and off to the as if it were in space, and and then you have off to the right if you turn around a little bit a full scale model of the Hubble Space Telescope, and it's all just breathtaking. And so I, I highly I will recommend continue going your there. plug because I I do work on the visitor complex grounds. Um, I work behind where that big Saturn one B is laying down right there. So I get to stare at that thing all day long, which is great. Um, and take our classes and kids into the park and kind of show them. But I will say that I've seen a lot of things in life, but that space shuttle Atlantis exhibit, if you don't cry when they reveal it, yeah, no, uh, there is no way not to cry. They did an absolutely incredible job and they continue to, you know, reconvene that park and come up with new ideas. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I love going to work there every day. I know there's no part you can't see. They've got the cargo bay doors open. You can go underneath and see the tiles and, and uh, you know, other places like Intrepid or whatever, you've got, you're just standing underneath it, right? And it's just sitting there. But the others, you know, the the Atlantis exhibit is just is so full of um, uh, just visual eye candy. I just, I just highly recommend that, that trip. And the space launch simulator is a lot of fun. It is fun. Yeah, I did that with my youngest son. I did it with him. And, uh, you know, they give you all these warnings going up to it. And he was actually starting to get really nervous before we got in there. And, uh, you know, then Charlie Bolden, I don't know if he's still doing the the intro, but Charlie Bolden did the intro to getting into that simulator. And uh, <laughs> and and Caleb was like, oh, Dad, I don't know, man. It's all right. Just 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 stick with it and uh, we'll, we'll be OK. And, and he ended up having a great time with it. But it's a fun it's a fun experience. Oh, yeah. And for anyone who has ever ridden it, y'all know that Charlie Bolden taught you the twang. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. He was a former NASA administrator and astronaut. And oh, man, is he missed. Um, I, I think he's a great guy. Uh, he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so what's, what do you want to tell us about next sky, as far as what the future is like for you and how can we keep, how can we keep track of you and follow your story? Yeah. So right now, obviously things are kind of a little bit on hold, but, um, I actually give monthly pre, this is outside my actual job job. I'm a part of the NASA solar system ambassador program, which is run by two incredible people, uh, Kay and Heather out at a NASA JPL, they manage over a thousand of us now, which is crazy to think that only two people deal with over a thousand of us. But this program's really awesome. I've been fortunate enough to give my presentations at Kennedy Space Center for now. This is my fifth year doing it. Um, I give monthly presentations. My usuals are on the commercial crew program and Artemis, but I'm actually adding three new presentations once all this kind of opens back up. Those include about space tourism, more about the biology side, and uh, maybe something a little special too. But I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it on the down low until I actually announce it. But um, <laughs> yeah, all my social media handles are Astro underscore Sky A S T R O underscore S K Y E. Yes, that is my real name. My parents got it from General Hospital for you. Soap opera love is out there. Don't know why. It's purely coincidence. But um, in terms of the future, I plan on giving more presentations at, at Kennedy and obviously continuing my full job with Space Track. It's a really great company. And kind of just seeing where it takes me. I'm going to look into submitting my packet and hopefully things work out and I get a flight spot and I'll be flying jets and transitioning and becoming an astronaut. So I'm open for all opportunities. I love talking to you guys. I no problem with any of that and doing any of the events that you guys do. And it's really just kind of crazy to think where life's taken me so far. And I'm excited to see where it is in the future. Yeah, well, I'm inspired. I, I really am impressed. And I wish you nothing but 
the best uh, going forward with your with your dreams. And if, I really if anybody can do that. it, you can. <laughs> Thank <no> you. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll have to join us on the Twitch stream that we do. Um, it'll be late for you uh, out there, but we do a Twitch stream each night where we do virtual star parties and we run the telescopes and just let people log in, run the telescopes, see deep space images, you know, coming in. And I think you'd probably really enjoy that for someone that loves space so much. Uh, you'll have for to join sure, us there. I would love to. All right. You got a couple, you want to read any more questions, Justin, on your, on your channel? Oh, uh, let's see. The last one says, good luck, Sky. Sounds like you have the drive and passion for it. Thank uh, you're you. You're getting a lot of good lucks here. I think you got a lot of support. I appreciate in this chat. that. Yeah, Thank no you. Kidding. Follow yeah. me, message me, tell me your stories. I have no problem <laughs> answering back. I love it. Yeah. And Epicson I, uh, on Twitch is asking, what do we think about space diseases? Every year, scientists discover new things that space and low gravity harming people in a bad way. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Sky? You know, I'll, I'll bring it to something that's relatable. Um, it's kind of like what's going to go down here, that d diseases are essentially bacteria and bacteria does develop. We know obviously more about what's here on Earth. We don't really know what is out in space. So it's only going to be a matter of, you know, learning and trials and figuring out how to prevent it. And as I said, the human body goes through absolutely a lot and a significant trauma when it comes when it goes to space and the obviously the effects of when you come back down. So space diseases, it's something that they're learning, but it's also at the tip of the iceberg. They probably know one percent of, you know, everything that's out there and then some. Will we ever know all of it? No, because obviously we didn't really know just like the coronavirus, how big it was going to get. So it's really interesting for the people who like science and, and you know, genetics and biology and all that stuff. They would they would have a field day with it. So I'm interested to kind of see where it goes and what they're going to do with it. God, I know it's really scary to think about just how much we don't know, but we've got to, you know, we've got to do it to find out. And so it's just, you know, and hey, it's, it's as Elsa said it, have. we're going into the unknown. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, anything else, Dustin? How are we doing? No, no, this has been fantastic. Thank you for joining yeah. us. This is uh, this Most is definitely. fun and it's exciting and inspiring listening to you talk about it. Your passion is very Thank you for having uh, me. Clear. Yeah, that. Scott, you've been a lot of fun. It's been really great. <laughs> hey, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Sky Schwartz, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com.